And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets with Tim McMaster, Zach Rosenblatt, and Marissa Dunn. Can't wait! Tuesday morning, and we are starting on time on the Can't Wait podcast. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We got to see something that we have been waiting two-plus seasons to see. Nathaniel Hackett took off the training wheels, and we got to see Zach Wilson air it out a little bit on Sunday night. We'll get into everything, the controversy around the calls, how the defense played, how Zach played, how Hackett called the game otherwise. Lots to get to on this episode of the Can't Wait Podcast. Tim McMaster here, along with Zach Rosenblatt, our Jets reporter at The Athletic. Uh, Subscribe if you haven't already. Give us thumbs up, five stars, all that stuff. It all helps us. Um, Zach, we're going to start. We'll get to all the positive. There's a lot of positive to talk about. I I genuinely am excited about next week because of of this week. And it's been a while since you could say that. But that being said, we need to start with the things that are frustrating, I think, Jets fans more than anything else. It's two things. It's the officiating. And it's Taylor Swift. I'm turning on her. We've been a pro-Taylor podcast I, I have had enough, Zach. Like, and we're, we'll talk about it a little bit here, so I guess I haven't had enough. But like, it was too much on Sunday night in the broadcast. They're way over the top of the broadcast. Um, and I don't want to say that you, you know, were part of the problem, but you were part of the problem. You were down there waiting, and you got video of her arriving with Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively, the whole posse that came in. Um, just talk about your experience as part of the paparazzi. I I am, as someone who is a Taylor Swift supporter, I, I do agree with your original point that it's gone too far. It's, like, so over the top. It's, like, <laughs> I, I need it. Like, luckily, they don't have they don't have to play the Chiefs again. Or I guess she technically... Luckily, this isn't a Chiefs podcast. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely become a little too much, and I knew that Jets fans felt that way when I saw how angry they were when I posted a video of her leaving MetLife on on uh, on Sunday night. Um, though I'm not ashamed to admit that I did that purely for the Swifties and for my uh, to get that tweet going. Well, yeah, I'm trying to cover your <laughs> audience, I, I get it. I, it was a shameless it. tweet, and I knew that Jets fans were going to be mad at me when I did it. And and just as like in the immediate like. If you looked when I immediately sent that tweet after the game of her leaving, uh, alongside Sophie Turner, who is Sansa Stark, uh, the it was, it was I was like She's living I was in like, her apartment yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, that's the rumor. Uh, I was uh, I was legit ratioed by Jets fans, being like, "Not now, Zach. Oh God, will you stop doing this? You're a football writer." Blah blah blah. I get it. I'm not going to be doing it anymore unless she randomly shows up to a game I'm covering. I guess. But yeah, so um, I just just to quit paint a quick picture, like before the game. Sometimes Connor and I will go and uh, and film like arrivals uh, of like, guys showing up to the stadium. It was more exciting like last year when Rodgers was still around. I figured yesterday, since I get to the stadium so early anyway, I was just going to wait by where the Chiefs come in. And then I found out that's also where Taylor would come in. So I waited. There was like rumor. There was like, you know, I was talking up to the cameramen from NBC who were kind of waiting to. It was only me and them. So I was like, am I in the right place? Like I expected like a million cameras. As as time progressed, it started filling up, and there was a lot more media who came down. and And I think like an hour before the game or so, she uh, she find like they finally came in. It was like an SUV. There was like two SUVs. They're kind of like waiting. We're from a distance. They made a stay from a distance, and you kind of see them um, getting out of the car. I it it was <laughs> I I say I waste we waste so much time before the game anyway. I'm like whatever. I'm waiting, and I'm gonna see like a celebrity and someone I'm a fan of. And on top of that, Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman, who I'm also a fan of, and Blake Lively was there, and I maybe was the only one to recognize him, but Anthony from the show Queer Eye was there um, in that crowd. Uh, and I think there was other people that, other famous people I didn't recognize that Swifties in my mention were pointing out. Yeah. Uh, it was like a surreal experience because, you know, 
we're around celebrities all the time covering the NFL. I've like, you know, been in the same, you know, area vicinity as a celebrity. You see them walking by or something like that. But just like the, I don't know. I kind of wanted to do all that just so I have the memory of doing it a few years from now when I look back at my like Facebook memories and I see that I had this video of Taylor Swift walking. But I will say, uh, and we'll get to the actual game in a second. I know everybody's probably mad, but um, the one thing I was upset with myself about is that apparently Paul Rudd came walking through the press box and I missed that. And I'm, as much as I'm a fan of Taylor Swift, I'm a bigger fan of Paul Rudd. Another huge Chiefs And fan, Jeremy yeah. Strong from yep, Succession was also in the building. Like if I could have seen Jeremy Strong or Paul Rudd, I would have waited three hours for them easily. Uh, if I could have gotten a selfie with Paul Rudd, like he's, he he's just like the most likable man in America, and there's not a single person that does not like Paul Rudd. I, if if you do, then there's something wrong with you. So I, uh, yeah. So it was. It's funny because I think in week one that Jets tried hyping up how many celebrities were going to be there, and it wound up not being anybody that was like an A-lister. And and then yesterday with Zach Wilson starting at quarterback on Sunday Night Football, it was maybe the most celebrity-filled MetLife has been, other than a Taylor Swift concert, like you know, in a long, long time. So it. It was non-football stuff, but it was, it was fun for a moment until everybody got angry, and then we're going to tie this into the football now because a big thing, especially yesterday, because the NFL, as we talked about, has been so over the top with the Taylor thing. All their social media accounts are like embracing it. It's like the, they're 2-0 and since the Chiefs became Swifties, and, and when you combine that with the fact that there were some questionable calls and non-calls late in the game, um, Jets fans have started to... Uh, call it like you know this is all part of the script the nfl wasn't going to let the chiefs lose in front of taylor swift and and now you have chiefs fans fighting back so it's become a whole controversy just purely because of the nfl going so over the top embracing taylor uh and you you get why they're doing because they made a lot of money off her in the last couple of weeks but um jets fans yeah. are not happy about it it's good this is me the last time we talk about it in the context of just you know at least for a little while because i'm sure at some point marissa and i will bring up taylor again uh but for now, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. I apologize to you guys. <laughs> there you go. It was requested in the chat. Zach, just apologize and move on. That's what we're doing. So we're moving on to the officiating, um, which, and we were talking about it before we get started. Like, there's bad calls always, both ways. This game was no different. There was certainly questionable calls that, that went in the Jets' favor as well. Yeah. Um, but when two... Seemingly obvious calls happen late in a game this close, and everything you just said. Um, it and you have a fan base that has a lot of angst to begin with. Like it, it blows it up even bigger. And the two main calls, obviously, is Sauce getting called for the hold on what would have been the third interception uh, by Patrick Mahomes would have gotten the Jets the ball back in great field position with a chance to go down and win the football game. And then the other one, no hold called uh, on the Patrick Mahomes run where Jermaine Johnson yeah, was. That was. And to me, this bad. one was worse than the, yeah. the... I mean, the Gardner one was out in the open field, but in real time, it was kind of hard to tell how much he had his shirt or anything like that. But, I mean, Donovan Smith had Jermaine Johnson wrapped up for, what, four, five seconds clearly in the open and then Patrick Mahomes runs for the long first down those are the two main ones a lot of anger the league hasn't said anything yet about those right no I'm sure that'll be leaked from somebody via the Jets if they tell the Jets that they were wrong again because they did that with roughing the passer penalty I don't know what that does exactly other than get everybody in the fan it just base gets you more angry right um, like yeah. but what I'll say about the sauce thing and it's been covered quite a bit by sauce like went into detail about it Patrick Mahomes he responded to a Patrick Mahomes quote where Patrick Mahomes like uh, was arguing that it was clearly a hold. He said the, it was only, 15, 15 down, yards downfield and that he had the, him around the neck, which none of yeah. that is true. But. Yeah, no. Um, two points here. So I agree with you that it, like if you watch it in the moment, it did kind of look like holding, but like Sauce had been doing that all game, and they yeah. decided to call that penalty late in the game. And the yep. bigger problem was they didn't call it until after the pass was intercepted. Like It's not like they called it when it happened so that was the biggest issue that's where the controversy that everybody is saying that it's fixed is because they waited and then they did it's like sauce after the game used an example of like when you're playing pickup basketball and you're going and like you go out for a shot and then they're starting to go up the other way and you call a foul like that's kind of what happened um so that was it was like you can't do a delayed penalty like that that's just like wild and i feel like those plays honestly should be reviewable I, i know it would slow things down but and they would never and, actually overturn it either because... Yeah, true. Yeah. You know. But the Jermaine one, 
to Jermaine's credit, you know, just to paint a picture, like when we walk in the locker room, uh, a few reporters are pr- approached him. He was like clearly angry. He was like staring at the ground, like looked like he was ready to like fight somebody, not like us or anything, but like, he was very angry um, to the point where the media PR person understandably told him to go take a shower first before he talked. And then when he did, he, you know, he's, he's, he is a very mature person. He, his like answer was like, I need a, you know, whatever happened, I need a point, you know, m- m- the thumb at myself and, think about what I can do to put myself in position to not get hold, held or whatever. I, I think he's, you know, being uh, political, professional, whatever. Um, but he has a legitimate gripe because that was absolutely insane. Um, I think I saw somebody make a point. I don't know if it was a former NFL player or if it was just somebody on Twitter that um, if Jermaine could do anything better, it would be to be more dramatic about the fact that he's being held. So they like fall down him. basically yeah. or like throw yeah. his arms up, like yeah. whatever, like you make it, you have to make a scene sometimes it's, it's, Unfortunate that you have to do that, but right, like that—that that was a, a crucial. I mean, there's there's no guarantee that. I don't know. I don't know. What I was about to say, but uh, anyway, so Patrick Holmes runs for 25 yards on third and 22, and that basically clinches the game. Plus the penalty uh, that wasn't called. Um, I mean, the plus the sauce penalty. I mean, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, that was that was a really bad look, especially in the moment because everybody in the world that was watching that game could see it. Even Swifties who are watching football for the first time could see it, <laughs> uh, and so I th- those are legitimate gripes. But as you mentioned, it I, I get being angry about the officiating because the Jets have had a, more than a few already this season questionable things or JFM roughing the passer. Um, but ultimately, they didn't lose that game because of those two penalties. They just like are the most obvious thing because of when they happen. Like, you know, and we're, we're going to get into all the stuff that happened. You know, the Jets put themselves in a 17 to nothing deficit. Zach Wilson fumbled it late in the fourth quarter. Uh, there was the Connor McGovern penalty that ruined a drive. There was the Michael Carter drop. Um, you know, Zach Wilson missed Garrett Wilson when he burned a corner one-on-one down the field. That would have been a touchdown in the end zone. Like there's, missed there's moments too in the end zone. Yeah. There, there's, there's moments throughout that game. You know, they missed a lot of tackles, the defense, uh, there's just like a lot of moments that in reality are why they lost, you know, could they have won if the officials called things their way at the end of the game? Certainly. Uh, especially that interception at, I think there was, I believe, yeah, I believe it was Michael Carter in the Patriots game last year where he had an interception that was called back because of a roughing the passer penalty. So Michael Carter has been screwed out of some pretty important interceptions in his career already. Um, but yeah, I, I just, they didn't ultimately lose because of those penalties, though I get why fans are mad because a win over the Chiefs would have like changed everything in theory. The Broncos game, which we'll get into later in the week, like will still like dictate how the season goes, I think, whether they won the Chiefs game or not. But if they win that Chiefs game, like everybody's talking about this team differently. It would have been like a monumental upset, like on par with as any that the Jets have had in a long, long time. They were ten a nine and a half point underdogs, I believe. Um and there's a lot that positive takeaway from that game. I still have some concerns about this team going forward, but ultimately, uh, again, just to to put a bow on this conversation, having about the penalties, they didn't lose because of them, even if they were bullshit. So, yeah, and Robert Sala, um, I th- I liked his answer about the the penalties on that drive yesterday. He said it was a bizarre last drive, a series of unfortunate events, which is a good way of putting it. Yeah, uh, it was a seven and a half minute drive and was aided by non calls. Calls. It was just bizarre. I don't know if I've ever been part of a drive like that to end a football game, especially a game like that on national television. Unfortunately, I'm still trying to understand what we could have done better, and we're still trying to figure out how we can coach things better. I'll get clarification on the sauce penalty, and we'll go from there. So I think that's a pretty good statement from Salah where he kind of calls out what happened without getting himself fined. I, I will say Salah was as angry after a game as I think I can remember. I, as I described in my story, especially when he was asked about things that he was upset about, I, I was like, I always sit right up front in the post game press conference. He's he was like gripping the side of the lectern with one hand, and then as he would be asked about like the sauce penalty or the Jermaine hold or whatever, he'd just start like knocking on the table, like because he he had like all this anger inside of him. He was just ready to like if we had maybe poked a little bit more, he might have exploded. Um, <laughs> Because he, he even kept like he kind did of alluding to like on the field, to be honest. Yeah, he did. He got an unsportsmanlike penalty, which you don't see very often from a coach. And I will say he kind of kept like alluding to it. We we thought if we got that ball back, we were going to score. Like he was talking like that. Like he just felt mm. like we were robbed of an opportunity and all this stuff. 
that that's Salah being Salah. But uh, yeah, that was as mad as I've seen him. And I think some fans have interestingly been like, they kind of wish like he just would go all out and flip out about this, like at the podium um, and like take the fine. Or I even saw someone suggest Woody should pay his fine and just let him mouth off because um, he's, he's been, he's been holding back more than he maybe did last year. I would say, I think Salah has tried to learn his lesson. I, I could see him at some point not being able to hold in what he's feeling because I think he's been frustrated both with officiating and with like the coverage of his team and stuff like feeling like they're over people are over critical of them or whatever. But um, yeah, that he was, he was angry and you kind of understand why, but at the same time you have to, you know, probably focus on the things that they could have done better. Yeah. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. Hey Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get direct TV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream direct TV over the internet now. Oh sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream direct TV without a satellite dish. Call one eight hundred direct TV. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, let's get into the game a little bit more. Let's get into Zach. We've gone this far. We haven't really dug into Zach's performance, which was really good. 28 of 39, 245, two touchdowns, no interceptions, 105.2 rating. It's the the best rating of his career. It's the second time in his career that he's ever had a rating over 100. The other time was the win over the Bills last November, um, which came, which was a lot less throws he wasn't he barely threw it yeah and he barely big, threw it, it was just big plays right that like so well, I they feel ran like the, they ran the ball that was like james robinson had a good game that day which yeah. feels like years ago but feels like if you compare those two games it's not even close that this was such a better performance um and the main thing you wrote about it i think it was a week ago playing scared right calling the game yeah. scared playing scared not wanting to make mistakes not wanting to lose None of that was going on on Sunday. This team finally, and let's hope it stays this way, but from Hackett to Wilson, you could tell they wanted to make things happen. Um, We'll get into Hackett specifically and the play calling, Um, but as far as Zach goes, the other thing that stood out to me, Zach, was they're down 17 to nothing. That's the worst time for a quarterback to have a great performance, right? Because like the defense knows that you have to throw the ball at that point. Yeah. And he was still able to be really effective, mainly second quarter, third quarter. He was lights out. I'm, so I, sh- I, sh- I just, they definitely were playing with less fear. I still think there was like some fourth downs. I thought they should have gone for it. So like, oh, it there was like the fourth. On. Yeah. The um, fourth and one where they tried to draw them. That was a, yeah. And then they missed the field goal, which actually was another moment that I didn't mention earlier. Like if they make that field goal, it's a different conversation right now. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I you know this is a thing that the fans have been screaming for that I've been saying that as you alluded to, I they were like, you know, it was like the chicken or the egg, like the Jets were so scared of Zach Wilson making mistakes and Zach Wilson was so scared of making mistakes as a result of it, like what came first, Zach making the mistakes or the team being scared of him making them or whatever. But um they did all the things they need they've needed to do this whole time and you hope that they don't revert back to what they're doing the last week. You need to get Zach out of the pocket, you need to do play action. Uh, you need to get them on the move. You need to throw in some trickery. They did some end arounds and a flea flicker. Like they didn't all work, but you have to at least try. They were so so boring for through three weeks. The reverse and worked it, to uh, yeah to, to Xavier, Gibson. but yeah, yeah, but the end the flea flicker was bad. The end around was almost a disaster, and the yeah. flea flicker didn't go well. But hey, you're trying. Yeah. You're opening, but they're trying. Up. That's the whole thing. That's it. Just felt like they weren't even trying. They were just trying to like get out of each game. And I, it was notable to me that a lot of the guys in the locker room after had quotes about. How they the coaches talked about this week not doing that anymore. So clearly it was like even if they weren't admitting it to us, it's clear they were like playing conservatively on purpose. So Connor McGovern even said they told us um, we're going to go out there and try to win. We're not going to go out there to try not to lose, which is an important distinction. Uh, and you know even Randall Cobb, you know 
I don't think people have admitted this out loud, and maybe it's because Zach played well that he was willing to. Randall Cobb said to me and a couple other reporters that it seemed like Zach was afraid to make those throws that he made on Sunday, but he has the ability to make them. So, like, everybody knew that he was afraid to make them before, but, like, you, you saw what it looks like when he's playing without fear. I don't know what it was. I don't know what maybe Aaron Rodgers being back and talking to the team the night before. Like, I don't know what it was that got Zach out of his, like, fearfulness of like messing up or whatever it is but he was playing with a little freedom you know the, I, I had a story up this morning about how they need to open up the offense like this going forward and like the three words that I said can save the jet season is something that they all said in the locker room Salah said is let it rip they need to Zach let Zach let it rip um and it's not always going to be pretty he's got probably going to have some turnovers maybe um but this team is Right now, one and three, like we're celebrating his performance, and if they could lose another game in the season, is you know maybe over, not over, but you know what I mean. Like it's hard to bounce back from that. Uh, but like you showed signs of life, you should have started it sooner. You hope it's not too late, but they need to be like this every week. If you're going to keep Zach Wilson at quarterback, you can't play conservatively. If you're going to play Tim Boyle at quarterback, you can be conservative because it's not like he's running around and he doesn't really have like a big arm or anything like that. But you need to open it up. You need to get Garrett Wilson the ball. They finally did that, 14 targets. Get Xavier Gibson on the field. Get Ruckert on the field. Give Brees Hall the ball. They didn't give him the ball enough. Uh, I'm sure these are all topics I'm stepping on for later. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, like, ultimately, it's Hackett wasn't coaching with fear as much this week, and I don't know what spurred him into finally doing that, but he wasn't. And so you saw Zach Wilson. Even on the, you know, I alluded to him missing Garrett. He kind of underthrew Alan Lazard on like a 48 or 49 yard completion, and Lazard just kind of made a great play. Um, but he gave him was, a chance to make. A he great gave him a play, chance, right? and is, and yeah, so Zach was taking those chances. Like before, I, I had the sad in the first three weeks. I think he threw five deep passes total, like which is 20 yards or more in the air, and completed one of them. And he, I think he attempted no, he threw six. He attempted six through three games, only completed one. Compl- attempted five alone in this last game. He was great in play action, like eight of nine. Um, I think on that great drive to start the third quarter, I believe he was like three of three or four of four in ten, in, of uh, ten plus yard attempts. And the best one was the Alan Lazar touchdown pass, which was one of his best throws he's ever made. Oof. Just like an absolute yeah. laser into like a heavily covered area. You know, his uh, two touchdown passes. What stood out too? Like not to interrupt you, sorry. Yeah, it was the laser you. to a small spot right where he had to throw it kind of behind Lazar, like you were talking about. And then the other one was the exact opposite. It was touch over the defender. Yeah, to Uzama, so, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was cool to see him being able to do it both ways in the game. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we'll get into some other questions we have about this offense and Hackett and things they need to fix. But um, with Wilson, like, I'm not ready to say he's fixed all of his problems, that this is what – like, we need to see this more than one game. You know, there's still a hit the entire – however many starts he had before Sunday. We have a history with Zach uh, – and it's a long season ahead. There's still, what, 15 more – or four – how many games 14, they played? Four? 13. So 13, 13. more games. Uh, if they want to be competitive, he needs to – you know, realistically, he's not going to be like this every week, but you need him to be like this more than he's not. We're celebrating a game where he, he threw like 200-something yards, and I, I get it because he was good. He outplayed Mahomes. I think there was a stat that was kind of going viral where he's the first, first quarterback to ever have fewer interceptions – more completions, more yards, and more touchdowns in a game than Mahomes dating back to college. That's never happened before. Zach Wilson was the first. As I, my lead to my story today was, and, you know, there's always, people always use the saying, like, if an alien showed up today and they watched football, like, what would they think right. when they watch this? Or, like, if this was somebody's first time watching football, they would think X. But you can actually say that because there were Swifties watching that game who probably have never watched football. And they might have walked away from that game and be like, this Zach Wilson guy is better than Patrick Mahomes, huh? Yeah, they're, they're probably like, true. you know, Travis Kelsey, yeah. it'd be great if he actually had a quarterback who could throw Yeah, him. yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's it's not true, but he did outplay him for most of the game. Mahomes had some, you know, mind-boggling interception throws where he just kind of threw it up. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it was just the most encouraging performance we've seen from Zach and probably his best one, even though it was a loss. You know, I... I, I I was watching some Good Morning Football this morning, and Kyle Brandt was like, it, "It's," and he made it's a fair point. Like he, it's great that he played well, but until they start winning, it doesn't really matter. Ultimately, like that, like once they start winning, he's like, once they start winning, we'll start talking about the Jets at the beginning of the show, because um, you know every week it's like if Zach, like it, we, you know, I'm a victim of this too. But like after the Cowboys game, it was like, well, he didn't lose them the game, and that was kind of the storyline. It was true. 
but like we he's a th- number two overall pick in his third year like this should be the expectation it's not because of what we've seen so far but it, it's the most promising thing we've seen from him especially he probably saved his job I think it could be argued that if it had gone poorly he might not be starting very much longer he probably saved himself for a few weeks at least unless the Broncos game goes terribly but yeah it's encouraging and if they can keep this up if Zach Wilson can play like this and the offense is opening up a little bit and it's not the most boring offense in the NFL like they can win some games they can beat some teams maybe they don't make the playoffs but they're they're looking a little better at the end of the year and, and Zach Wilson kind of gets them through the year uh until Aaron Rodgers comes back so Zach who's been had been blasted by everyone right throughout yeah. the first month of this season um from broadcasters to Joe Namath to everyone now suddenly is the guy everyone wants to defend, and that's because of Rodney Harrison. Uh, so, at, so Rodney Harrison picked a bad moment to be yeah. tough on Zach. The guy, the Zach plays great, no question. Everybody's saying Zach plays great, and in the post game, Rodney Harrison on the field interviewing Chris Jones calls Zach garbage, and really goes beyond that to like not accept Chris Jones's answers. Yeah basically which really was it was weird in my mind i mean rodney harrison's a former player he's not a broadcaster he didn't go to school but it was incredibly unprofessional like that whole interview was unprofessional i felt really um, uncomfortable for chris jones honestly it was like very awkward when I and he handled it great like he did tip of the cap to chris jones who just stuck to his guns and what he was saying but because of that uh <laughs> lebron is now you know pumping up zach <laughs> Um, Micah Parsons went on and on while on Twitch um, yeah. supporting Zach. All these people are now supporting Zach. Um, and Rodney Harrison apparently reached out to the Jets and did the apology trip yesterday, right? Yeah, I mean, that's Sala kind of alluded to that without saying it directly. Um, yeah, it was weird. Like, I, you know, I've been critical of Zach, not in, this, I, not in that way. I, he was not a good quarterback. Uh, there's no evidence that he was good up until Sunday. Uh, but yeah, for a broadcaster in the interview with that setting, it, to, to the Chiefs' great, you know, Willie Gay made waves. We talked about this last week for like kind of laughing at a question about Zach Wilson. After that game, the Chiefs were raving about Zach as if this was like his arrival. Like Chris Jones was saying how the Jets can be special if Zach Wilson is that good. Justin Reed was like, I, I had a feeling he was going to start showing what they drafted him to be, and I was just hoping it wouldn't be against us, but it was. Um, Andy Reed was, you know, positive about him. I think the Chiefs linebacker Drew Tranquil like raved about him. So the Chiefs walked away from that game impressed. And, you know, a, a part of this that I didn't bring up, and Zach deserves credit for, accountability was a big problem for him. And that was kind of, I've alluded to Rodgers. Apparently his message to the team on Friday was about accountability because he had seen guys pointing each other's fingers, uh, pointing fingers at each other on the sideline and all that stuff. And his message when he talked to the team on Friday at the team hotel was about not doing that. And Zach, last year, as we know, because of Connor Hughes' uh, question, he... He uh, did not take accountability. It kind of led to the disaster of last season. He was benched, not because of that, but I'm sure it was a factor. Um, he, had, he had a lot of trouble like pointing the finger at himself last year, I would say. And he you, he was first shown on on TV on the sidelines saying, I lost us this game to like Thomas Morstead. Then you saw like Lazard and Cobb going up to him. And it, he apparently said it again in the locker room after Salah spoke to the team. And, and all the guys... I've kind of rallied around him to say it was not your fault. You did everything you could. His fumble was a problem, and it's absolutely worth criticizing him for that because he, he, he kind of like said how he needed to do a better job of like sliding the protection over because he could see there was a guy that was coming off the edge, and I think he kind of was like thinking ahead before fully grabbing the ball. Uh, like you kind of see that in the moment. It looked like mm-hmm. kind of like when a receiver like starts to turn his body before catching the ball, kind of thing. Like, that's what it looked like to me, uh, and that that was bad, but. Zach Wilson did not lose in that game. He almost won it. And his accountability is absolutely worth worth celebrating. And, you know, whether it amounts to much going forward, like he can be accountable, but if they keep losing, then it's going to fall on deaf ears at some point. But if they win, then it looks like he's ready to finally be a leader, which, you know, he was voted a captain last year. But um, it seems like he's more ready for that role now than he was before. All right, let's get into the, the play calling a little bit more. Um, we talked about the fact that the the training wheels came off and, and there was some exciting calls and some interesting stuff. Um, but if we want to turn it to the, the still negative, um, Gibson got in, Rucker got in, but apparently in order to get those guys' touches, 
the trade-off was Brees Hall, which it shouldn't be, but that's how it seemed yeah. to play out on Friday, where Brees Hall was great in limited action because he only had six carries in this game. Uh, Dalvin Cook had five. At this point, Zach, I think we could just give all 11 of those to uh, to Brees because Dalvin Cook is not who we thought he was. Yeah, I think it, that's the biggest takeaway more than like, you know, Xavier getting touches at the expense of Brees. It's more Dalvin Cook and even Michael Carter to an extent, but Carter's looked better than Cook outside of his drop. Like Cook has been absolutely brutal. He looks like he's running in quicksand when he's out there. I don't know where the player is that, you know, was one of the best running backs in the NFL for the last like six years in a row or whatever it was where he had a thousand yards every year. But, or maybe he's still hurt or maybe he's getting his sea legs under him. I don't know what it is, but he's every time he goes in there, he just runs right into the defense and he goes to the ground and it is it is kind of tough to watch it somebody i won't a source i'll say uh kind of referenced ladanian tomlinson as an example like he kind of reminds it reminds this guy of what ladanian was like when he came to the jets but ladanian was more productive than even dalvin has been so i we haven't asked sala or hackett about it yet i think we do need to ask about him they'll probably say some professional response it's pretty clear that was a move that was made for aaron Rodgers. i think and ultimately, it was the wrong one, especially with Rodgers not here. You're paying this guy $7 million guaranteed this year, and he is just a minus. Like I, I tweeted a stat about his EPA um, or about the, the Jets' EPA per play when he's like in the game is would be the 32nd in the NFL. And when Brees is when it's Brees in the game, it's uh, I think they're like ninth or 10th. So like literally, they're the worst running team in the league when Dalvin Cook is running the ball. He's just not a threat. And when he's in there, I think he does help in, like, protection sense. Like, he's better at picking up blitzes than maybe the other guys. But you're sacrificing a lot by putting him out there. I, I do know they have a work they have a workload stat, whatever you want to call it, a pitch count that they keep calling it for Brees Hall. I don't know at what point they remove that. But either way, he played enough snaps that he should – he had three catches, I think, and, and six carries. There should not be a game where he ends with six carries. I know the week before he had, like, 15 carries for 14 yards or something terrible, but – um, or 12 for 18. I can't remember what it was. It's not going to be like that every week, but you have to feed it to him. And if it's not working, then fine. You could say we gave it to him. It didn't work. So we went away from him, but it was working. He he had some really good plays. The run blocking was really good uh, for most I of the I had no game. complaints about the offensive line. Zach only yeah. got sacked twice. Especially the right, I would say especially the right side. Joe Tittman has been kind of a revelation through two weeks, honestly, uh, at right guard. And I know fan. it's funny to see the journey from training camp to now, like, fans kind of first were freaking out because Joe wasn't getting any first team reps in camp and people were like flipping out about picking him instead of John Michael Schmitz or whatever. Now you flip it and John Michael Schmitz has been struggling for the Giants and Joe fans were first calling for Joe Tittman to start over McGovern. And now he's like arguably been, if not their best, at least, you know, maybe arguably their best of the last two weeks at right guard, a position he was not drafted to play. And then you have AVT on the right side. who's always consistent. And then, and I tweeted a, uh, a screenshot of this on Brees' like 42-yard run or whatever it was. It was Joe Tittman, AVT, and Jeremy Rucker in the second level clearing hole. Tyler Conklin slipped at the end of it. Otherwise, it might have been a run, a touchdown run because he, Tyler slipped right before the other guy that, that tackled him. But um, And we'll get into Rucker. But yeah, I, the run blocking was good for Brees. They need to give Brees the ball more than Dalvin Cook. And Dalvin Cook needs to be eased out of the offense until he's ready to like actually contribute because right now he is an absolute minus and he kind of just kills every drive when he when he takes the ball and, and they're kind of in a groove and they put him in there. I, one, one thing that hasn't really been brought up and I've been thinking about it the last couple of weeks, at some point, like why not bring Izzy Abanaconda in the mix? He has actual juice mm-hmm. when he runs the ball. Whether maybe you don't think you can make Dalvin Cook inactive because you know of his name and the money you're paying him, but whether it's for Michael Carter or somebody else, like I, I would at least have a, Izzy active on game day. And if Dalvin Cook cannot get anything going and you don't want to play Brees Hall the full workload, give Izzy some snaps. He showed some flashes in training camp in the preseason of like his explosiveness, his agility. They don't, Michael Carter does not have that and Cook does not have that. And when your offense is flowing and you know maybe they don't trust Izzy yet, but you drafted this kid, uh, I thought he was going to play more than he wound up doing it. I didn't know they were going to get Cook at the time, obviously, but... I think he would be the one that, if you're not going to give Brees more carries, then maybe give some of Cooks to Izzy. Yeah. 
Um, you mentioned Ruckert. Um, so Gibson, I thought they used the way he should be, right? It's not like they were looking for him in the passing game, but the end around, the reverse, this, the little plays to, to get him in space was great. Ruckert, a couple catches. Um, he had a great I catch on the sideline. Yeah, yeah, and a good job blocking. Like, all around, he seemed like he fit in that offense. Yeah, that's another one where it felt like sometimes the Jets, like, are – and this has been for years, and I'm Jets fans obviously know this better than me since I only just started following them last year. But it does seem like they just sometimes put one hand behind their back when they don't have to. Like, why wasn't Rucker playing more? Like, I, he's the best combination of blocking and, like, athleticism receiving that they have at tight end. I do wonder at what point does he become the number one tight end because I think his ceiling – I like Conklin. I think he's better than fans give him credit for. But I think – Ruckert has a higher ceiling and he's a better run blocker. So I, I, I think Ruckert should replace Uzama as a number two at the very least and start playing some as a number one. I think him and Zach Wilson clearly have a connection because that throw and catch was really, really good. Uh, and yeah, so I, I was very encouraged by, I think Ruckert played 25 snaps, which was more than Uzama. Xavier Gibson, I believe, played 11 snaps. Uh, and I, you know, as we've been calling on this podcast and a lot of fans have, like, get him the ball in space. McCole Hartman's still not really playing much. Clearly, the coaching staff just does not like him. Like at a certain point, you just have to like accept that, uh, take that as a loss, I guess, free agency wise. They paid him four million dollars or something, and between that and Dalvin Cook, that's like ten million dollars down the drain. Uh, but yeah, it's not so our if, money. if if McColl, yeah, it's not our money. If, if McColl's not a guy you're going to use, then use Xavier. I, I mean, I thought it was notable the other day when Sala was asked about McColl again. Maybe we'll stop asking him about him because it seems like they're just not going to play him. Someone just asked if Hardman is hurt. He is not. I just don't think. They just, I don't know if they don't trust him or what it is. Uh, but yeah, when when he was asked about him last week, he kind of pivoted to be like, well, we also need to get Xavier Gibson out there more. And then they did that, and they did get Rucker out there more, but they didn't get <laughs> McColl out there more. And I'm sure McColl is frustrated, especially in a game against his old team. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what's going on with him. But, yeah, I, I was encouraged, and I think 10 to 11 staff is probably the right amount of workload as you ease Xavier Gibson in the NFL. He is an undrafted rookie, remember? But by the end of the year, and I don't know at one point, maybe after the bye, maybe a few weeks after that, I'd like to see Xavier replacing Randall Cobb for most of his snaps on passing downs. Uh, I know you trust Cobb more, but he just doesn't really bring much in terms of athleticism. They don't really look to him because he doesn't get open. I I just think Xavier Gibson, he's their most fascinating playmaker on offense if you look beyond the obvious ones like Garrett and Brees. And so... At some point, I'd like to see him be a bigger part of the offense. I don't think you need to right now. I think 10 snaps, like I said, is perfect. Use him as a gadget player. Get him out in space. Give him the ball out of the backfield, whatever it is. Get cre- Use him like you used Braxton Berrios, which I think the plan was with McColl, and then they just kind of like went away from that. But So switch, make Xavier like a more athletic Braxton Berrios, and I think that would be fun. Um, but, yeah, Ruckert, I think his role is only going to grow, or it should, and I'm curious to see what that looks like in the coming weeks. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's talk about the defense. That's the one thing we haven't covered so far uh, much. They got, they didn't really get to Mahomes much. One sack, right? A couple of halves. Um, you could count the face mask penalty on Bryce Huff kind of as a sack because it led Mm -hmm. to the safety, obviously. Um, But overall, after a rough beginning, they shut it down in the second half and were impressive. But let's focus on a few different players. One, Bryce Huff. 
Yeah. Beast, Zach. They, he just, I mean, everybody, the fan base it's loves gone, this it's guy, gone beyond. And he just it's, continues yeah. to, to bring it. I was going to say, it's gone beyond, like, the kind of, like, jokey thing I do about him, because I do think he's very good. But he, he was legit dominating every time he was out there. Like, he, he he's so fast off the line. And it's getting to a point now where I know they only play him on, like, pass rushing downs, but I, and maybe they don't trust him in the running game. And you have, like, all these defensive ends, and that's why you rotate. But, like, he... I don't know. He's at a point now where I think you should play him more than 20 snaps and just, I don't know. I, I don't know the right answer because I do think part of why he's maybe able to be as fast as he is the entire game is probably because they don't play him as much. But, like, this kid is is so talented at pass, at rushing the passer. He's wrecked, He wrecked havoc on their offensive tackles. They could not handle him. The face mask happened because he got around, what, was it Jawan Taylor or was it Donovan Smith? I can't remember. Um, it was one of their tackles. He, he got around him, and that's why he face-masked him, and that's why it was a safety. He would have sacked Patrick Mahomes there because he got around so fast. Um, and just yeah, like, it was on the blind side, right? So Mahomes wouldn't have even seen him. Oh, no, it wasn't yeah. on the blind side. Never mind. No, it wasn't. I don't think it was. No, it was uh, off the left, yeah. Yeah, but uh, – and, like, just – and this is dating back to last year and the year before. Like, on a person-at basis, there is, like, not a more efficient pass rusher than him in the NFL. Um, and that doesn't mean he's the best pass rusher in the NFL. I just – like, in terms of efficiency, like, he just gets after it. His his uh his time to to pressure is is often like crazy. Like I think I saw some, like he his get off was like a half a second, I believe, on the on the safe on the safety play. Like he's just so fast, and he he throw especially because of, maybe it's because of that rotation again. Um, but he just like catches the offensive tackles off such guard because he's so fast and explosive, and so he's he's been like a revelation until the point where. If the Jets don't lock him up to an extension, maybe he doesn't want to sign it yet. Like he's going to make a lot of money in free agency because I mean, he's not getting the sacks, which is the one thing that you can knock on him. But I don't think it's his fault. He's forcing the quarterback to throw it away, or he's hitting the quarterback. And if they're going to get rid of the ball that fast, it's going to be impossible to sack them. And so when he's in there, they have to get rid of the ball quickly, because otherwise he's going to get to them. And none of their other defensive ends have impacted the quarterback like he has. Uh, I think other guys have done good things. I think JFM has been pretty good. Jermaine's been up and down, but he's been good in the run game. Will McDonald, when he's played, has kind of been invisible. I think he's still kind of developing. And Carl Lawson is somebody that at some point we'll have to go deeper into because it's it's been weird to me. Maybe he's just not healthy. I, I don't know. But he's become a, a bit player to the point where I don't really know why they brought him back if this is what he was going to be. Um, he did miss a lot of training camp. They can use whatever excuses they want, but you're not playing him at all. And this is a guy you paid a lot of money for a couple of years ago. I thought he was better than fans gave him credit for last year. Maybe not as good as the contract he signed, but he's just like not a when he's out there, you don't even notice him. I never know. I've never noticed Carl Lawson in a game this year. Quinn Williams has been very good. Al Woods was a surprise inactive. I, we haven't really asked Sala about that. I, don't, I didn't really get that, especially when you see how much the Chiefs were able to run on them. Pacheco was fantastic, uh, and they had trouble tackling him. And Al Woods is a run stopper, so I do wonder what the thought process was there. But the defensive line has been solid, but Bryce Huff has been the most impactful pass rusher, uh, him and Quinn, and he's going to make a lot of money, and I – and I do wonder if he's become a priority for the Jets to keep him or what, because he's young, he's talented, and I would sign him now before it gets very expensive. But also, if you're only playing a guy 20 snaps a game, like, can you really justify paying him over $10 million a year or whatever it is? I don't know. Yeah, you have to look at the roster, right, and the guys that are coming off of it next year. And there's there's definitely – well, they, have, they keep bringing in guys too, though. But, like, Lawson – yeah, it'll be interesting because you got to play Will McDonald at some point also, and they they just have so many pass rushers. It's tough to figure out who who to pay, right? We'll see. The other guy I wanted to mention was uh, was Quincy Williams, yeah. who thirteen tackles, pass coverage again. Like it's, there's been a couple games where there was a standout play with him in pass coverage that happened again against the Chiefs on Sunday night, and he's like, it's amazing to think back that this team just claimed him off waivers that he was just out. There. Yeah. To, for all the, the criticism that Jets fans have want to levy at Joe Douglas, and some of it's warranted, he's been very good on the waiver wire, and Quincy Williams is one of his best moves he's made. Um, and, and I feel like at the time it was probably like, oh, they just brought him in because he's Quentin's brother, and maybe that is why I don't know. But like he, he sometimes was, you get lucky. Yeah, but he was he like they what they brought him in. He was a raw player. Je- Jeff Ulbrich, I asked him about uh, Jeff. I asked Ulbrich about Qu- uh, Quincy the other day. I was like. You know what's it been like seeing him develop into what he is? Because I know when he arrived here, he was very raw. And he was he was he was a great athlete from day one, like a really really good athlete. But he just did like he he had to learn the finer points of playing football. Like even last year, you'd see him 
he went, he would either make a huge play or give up a huge play. There was like no in between. That was kind of like the Quincy experience. And he's really rounded out of his game. He's become confident. He's become vocal. And he's just, there aren't many linebackers who are as athletic as he is and that can move around the field like he does. Uh, and so that makes the ceiling really high. That's why I, I kind of was worried the Jets would lose him this offseason because I thought somebody would try and come in and give him a lot of money. Jets got him for less than I thought he would get. I think something around like $6 million a year or something like that. Uh, I think it's going to look like a bargain. He He's on track to be a potential Pro Bowl player, I think. like I, I think he's been that good. Uh, and, yeah, I think it's going to be easier when they eventually have to move off from C.J. Mosley because you have Quincy there, and I think you only really need two good linebackers. And C.J. had an up-and-down game. He had some really good plays. He had some bad ones. C.J. had a play. So there was a moment where Isaiah Pacheco had a long run, and he did some push-ups on the ground as he was getting up as, like, a taunting thing. And then on the next play, Pacheco got another 10-yard run. C.J. tackled him and then did push-ups as, like, a taunting move back to him. But... I don't know if you realize that he gave up a first down, but, um, but yeah, anyway, Quincy, like at some point I want to do maybe at the halfway point of the season, like who the 10 best jets are based on what we've seen. Quincy would be in the top 10 as of Bryce Huff, but Quincy being in the top 10 is not something I would have necessarily predicted. So the, the jets deserve a lot. Mike Rutenberg, their linebackers coach and Jeff Ulbrick deserve a lot of credit for what they've built up with Quincy. Uh, and yeah, he's, he saved a lot for them. You know, their tackling was an issue. I don't I don't think I don't remember him really missing tackles and more D linemen in the back end. Jordan Whitehead had a rough game, like a really rough run, both in coverage and tackling. Uh but yeah, Quincy has been I don't know, you could argue their second best or third best defensive player. I think Quinnen's still have been their best, even if he hasn't gotten a sack. Uh Sauce and DJ have been pretty good, but Quincy is right up there with them. All right, and the the one thing negatively on the defense, they did fall behind seventeen yes. nothing in this game, yes. including a huge touchdown run, which made me think back to the Patriots game and the huge pass where you just have a guy running free. This one, and he just broke through the initial line, and then there was just no depth to the defense. Communication yeah. breakdowns, back to back weeks for yeah. huge touchdowns. Yeah, I mean that's been an issue dating back to last season. Whenever they give up big plays, it's because there's miscommunication on the back end. I don't know. If that's a, a fault of the corners, I don't know if that's a fault of Jordan Whitehead because he does seem to be the guy involved in a lot of them. Um, Tony Adams was out, so Adrian Amos started. Ashton Davis played and got an interception. Uh, nobody wants to talk about Ashton when he makes good plays, I've noticed. They only do when he <laughs> gives up big plays, which I, probably more in his career he's done that. But, um, yeah, the back end mental errors are, are a problem, and that, that comes down to coaching ultimately if they keep making those mistakes, and I think the coaching staff would agree with that. But... They need to fix that, and the tackling was like just absolutely brutal, and that, especially in that seventeen and zero start, they could not bring down Pacheco. Uh, I think they they missed a couple. Of, I forget. I, I I think it was like twelve missed tackles total on PFF or something like that. It was it was bad. They they need to shore that up. I I forget who it was. There was a play. Oh, the, I just thought of it. There's a play that kind of went viral. I didn't notice it in the moment. I watched the replay after where DJ Reed went like was coming at Patrick Mahomes a hundred miles an hour. And should have had an easy sack, and he just ran right by him. Like it was as if his brakes broke, or he was just going so fast that he couldn't stop himself. Uh, he like got it was, or like he got in such position that he was, it was like a free sack, and he's like, "Wait, this is way too easy. What's going on?" And then he missed him. Like that was bad. Uh, and I, I believe there's on the long Pacheco touchdown run. I, f- I forget who missed the tackle at the defensive line. I believe it was JFM, but I'm not 100 percent sure about that. But the the initial guy missed the tackle, and then everybody else couldn't get off their blocks. And so he ran all the way for the touchdown. Um, I think it's fair to be be upset with like the defense. Again, it, it keeps happening. This is about what I was basically about to say. Robert Papalia just said, "Great defenses don't give up big plays." Every time you look at the end of the game, and the numbers like back up the Jets being a great defense, they don't give up a lot of points. If you look at the passing yards from the other quarterback, they're not very good usually, um, and they're usually pretty good at run stopping. There weren't as much this game. But it's the this at the beginning of the game they've been awful. I, mean, I think this happened last year to start last year, and if they want to be considered a great defense, they have to get after the quarterback. Other than Bryce Huff, like they have not brought the quarterback down very much. Uh, for as hyped as the, this defensive line has been, they have not done that, and they keep giving up. They keep falling into these holes when they don't have an offense that's necessarily built to come back from behind. So they need to get that fixed up. I, I think until they show that they can do that, you can't call them one of the best defenses in the league. They need to be it in the first quarter, not the second, not just the second through fourth. Even if, you know, I guess if you flipped it around and they were good one through three, I don't know how that would change the conversation. But um, they're doing their job to a degree, but they're not being a great defense, and that was what they were billed as. 
Yeah, we got one question that, that came through before we say goodbye that I thought was an interesting one. Does Brown get his job back when he comes back? Mm. That's an interesting one. I, I don't have a good answer. I don't – it depends on – I think we have a, we have at least two more weeks to see how this group looks together. Yeah. I think as of now, it, it would be a bad move to change what they have going right here, but I know they also respect Dwayne Brown quite a bit. So maybe what you see is they try to ease him back, ease him back, wait to see if somebody else gets hurt because they have that kind of luck. Um, I do think Makai has been more up and down than maybe people are talking about, but he's been good enough to keep in. He was better than Dwayne was those first couple weeks. So I, that is going to be a topic, and it's going to be something we're going to have to ask Salah in, in a week or two. But the offensive line is, you know, I think they've been pretty solid the last two weeks, and you you couldn't say that at the beginning of the season. So um, progress is good because they were they were really bad. All right, is that it? Uh, anything else, Zach? I think we hit it all. No, well, we'll maybe we'll – Oh, wait, no, no, your bad takes exposed. Oh, yes, that is true. (laughs) Yeah, so I have a tweet from 2021. It's kind of an annual tradition for Eagles fans to bring it up anytime Geno Jones has a good game. I was, it's, nobody's going to believe me when I say this now, a few years later. I did it, I was, so I was covering the Giants at the time after I just covered the Eagles. Eagles fans used to get, like, so mad at me. Giants fans would call me an Eagles fan. So I, I, I sent a tweet. The goal was mostly to troll Eagles fans. I went a little too far with it, and I tweeted that. Um, I forget what the exact phrasing. It's on All Takes Exposed if you want to go look at it. But uh, basically I said that it's not the, – the, the idea was that it's not even close. Daniel Jones is better than Jalen Hurts. Like, it's not even a discussion. And I in, like, like two weeks after that, you can even see in the replies, I admitted that it was stupid. And every year since then, multiple times a year – Daniel Jones will have a terrible game while Jalen Hurts is, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I acknowledge that. I know that. I even knew that that he had the talent at the time. Um, but every time they come back and they they come at me, and I think they they always are a little surprised that I am that I respond to them and say like, "You're right. This is a very dumb tweet." Like, <laughs> there are some people who are saying I should be fired. I <laughs> I had uh, I had one particularly like basically one person kind of called me a Nazi for tweeting that. <laughs> So people are taking it uh, pretty well. Uh, I think it's funny. I don't care that much. Uh, everybody has bad tweets, and I, I have some people like you still didn't delete this. Like it's funnier that I haven't. Like I, it I is, would still yeah, believe it. it. And and like deleting tweets is lame. Like if you have a bad take, just like own it and say that it was bad, or double down, which some people do. It was a dumb tweet then. It's a dumb tweet now, and it's funny to me that. Like I, I've obviously I'm from South Jersey, which is full of Eagles fans. I'm in like a bunch of group chats with like my fantasy league, my brothers. And I and I always like to bring it up, and then they all make fun of me for the tweets. So, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I'm on old takes exposed today. Um, so, congrats to me, I guess. Good job, Zach. Good job. <laughs> Can all hope to get there someday. That's gonna do it for this edition of the Can't Wait Podcast. We're gonna be back on Thursday, I think, to preview the Broncos game, and it's gonna be fun. We'll talk about Sean Payton. We'll talk about Zach Wilson going up against a bad defense and and what that means. So a lot to talk about later in the week. Thanks for joining the stream. If you did today, we appreciate that. Or listening to the Can't Wait Podcast. Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.